31 through 38. You can find that on page 889 in the House Files. Um, but if you would, please stand with me if you are able um, while we read God's Word aloud. Um, and I'll begin in verse 31 of John 4. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do not say, that, do you not say, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are ripe for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. This is God's word. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for teaching us, and thank you for calling us to yourself. Um, and thank you for our pastor Kevin, um, who you're working in and working through um, to lead us in your word. Um, I ask that you give us a heart. Um, for others that you have for us, and that you would just use this word today to stir in us um, the desire for us to reach our neighbors and our family and our friends with the gospel. Um, and I just um, thank you for your tender love and for your grace. Amen. Well, good morning once again. Every fall in Paris, I take three weeks or so to cast a vision for our church. Um, what are we about as a people? Where might God want to take us next? I raise questions like that. And soon we will get back into the book of Galatians. But during these three weeks, and we will take a break next week and go back into Psalms. But during these three weeks that we began last week, I want us to ponder and pray about three specific questions, and they're on the screen, or they will be. Um, one, how do we demonstrate right here at this moment in this meeting that we believe that the real ministry of the gospel is one of prayer? We looked at that last week. Second, how do we encourage one another right here, right now, to be God's means of reaching our neighbors with the gospel? Third, how can we seize this very moment as well as the rest of our week to care with one another through the gospel? So last week again we looked at the first, and I asked, what would our lives and our church look like if we really believed that prayer was the most important thing that we did? Today I want us to look at the second. What would our lives and our life together as a church look like if we really believed that God wanted to use us to reach our friends and neighbors and co-workers and classmates? How would things change? What would need to change? Because I think if we're, we're honest and we assess our lives as individuals and our life together as a church, we'd have to say that too much of the time we don't live like we actually believe in. Now, for anything, Chorus, we are a people of the gospel. We proclaim and cherish what Jesus came to do, what he's doing, what he will bring to completion one day. Um, he's redeeming us. He's redeeming all of his creation through his life, death, and resurrection. This has always, though, been a message that's not just been affirmed, but has been shared. Right? But too much of the time, we 
we keep it to ourselves. And I don't think what's up here gets worked down here like it should. And that's what I want us to imagine through this series. If what so many of us know to be true, that God wants us to reach people around us with the gospel, if that really became something that we felt, how would things look different in you and me, in, in Carus as a whole? And what would it take for us to get there? I'll follow a roadmap kind of like what I followed last week. We'll look at why we don't live on mission as we should. We'll talk about how we can help each other change. We'll think about what it might look like if we actually did. And then we'll close once again with some time using our imagination and calling out to God in prayer. Well, first, let's think about why we don't live on mission as we should. I think we learn a lot about from what Jesus says to his disciples in the passage that he had just read. So after Christ's interaction that you may have heard with this Samaritan woman, and we'll, we'll talk about it more in a bit, he explains to them what just happened. He interprets it for them, and he does it as he often does with an illustration. He says something about food, and he says something about where that food comes from. So the disciples, they offer Jesus something to eat. He's no doubt hungry and possibly thirsty, you know, because he's talking to this, with this woman at a well going there to get water, but he ends up talking, but he's hungry, it says here, and they say, Rabbi, eat, and Jesus gets confusing to them, as he often seems to. He says, I have food to eat that you do not know about, and the disciples say, hey, did he, did he call Grubhub while we were at the market, you know, and Jesus explains, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Why don't we live on mission as we should? I think first, we don't comprehend the fulfillment that's found there. So what's Jesus really saying? Doing God's will, and here he's talking about doing God's mission, is what sustains him, right? Or more than that even, it's what satisfies him. It's what fills him up. It's what gives him pleasure. And that's meant to be true for us. It's what allows us to live a healthy, vibrant life. There is fulfillment in being a part of God's mission in this world. But I think a lot of times that reality never hits our hearts. Why is this? I don't think these are you know, anything but obvious, but I think today, distraction. right? I think that's it part of the time, where our time, our talent, and our treasure go so much of the time to lesser things. Where we're entertaining ourselves to death, where we are amusing ourselves away from life, when God has spread this amazing feast out in front of us. Distraction, though, isn't the root problem. It's really our devotion. It's a worship issue. It's idolatry. Where His creations, His gifts, they're not meant to fill us up, but we try to get them to do that. And instead of giving thanks to him for them and actually taking them and making them a means of his mission, we get our hearts all wrapped around them, our affections go toward them. But here in Nicarus, we have something so much better, and we cannot afford to trade down. What else does Jesus say here? Why else do we turn from this calling? Well, we second don't see the harvest all around us. I think that's what kind of jumps out as we read that passage. Verse 35, he says, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, 
Lift up your eyes and see if the fields are white for harvest. Jesus here is saying, hey, you're used to this planting stuff and then waiting patiently to bring it in later. But the future is now. There's a harvest around you now, already. You don't have to wait to the end to see it because my kingdom is broken in now. So he says, get your eyes off the ground and let's get to work bringing it all in. Do we see the harvest around us? Most of the time, I don't know if we do. I think there's at least a couple of reasons why. I think one's despair. Where we tend to think that no one will ever come to Jesus. Maybe we've tried a few times, nothing's happened, so we've kind of moved on and given up. But doesn't that so much go against what Jesus says here, where he says that there's a harvest of souls around us, right in front of us, but we still lack faith? I think it's something more than that, though. I think it has to do with pride. Because if we're believers in Christ, and many of us here are, why did we respond to the gospel message? Are we more spiritual? Are we more wise? Are we smarter than those around us? I think there's a subconscious, they won't get it like we will, thing that we carry around that amounts to arrogance. Jesus tells us, he says, there is this field that's just ripe for harvest. It's ours for the taking all around us. People will hear, he says, people will respond, and he wants us, he tells us to get to work in that field, and to believe that as we do, that he will actually work. And we can't forget, if, we are in, if we're in Christ now, we were once there in that field. How can we look down on those that are there? How can we ever forget where he's brought us? And one thing, the question I keep asking, and I want to encourage you to keep asking this is, what could God be doing through these difficult last couple of years? And here's something I've been thinking about. I think these days have made it pretty clear that there's more of a mission field in America than we probably realized before. It's hard, but I think it's true. The United States has been moving the way that Europe moved many years ago from what you could call Christendom to a post-Christian society. I think a post-Christian society, we understand, we may grieve it, but we at least grasp it. But what's Christendom? Christendom is it's a society where the shell of the Christian faith is there, but not the soul. Where you have laws without grace, where you have truth without love, where people call themselves Christians, they often go to church, they affirm certain aspects of the Christian worldview, but the heart is gone. Think of the pandemic, the political stuff that's strangely surrounded it over the past couple of years has exposed this type of Christianity for what it is. And let me give you an example. So I'm spending the whole week meditating on John chapter 4 while everything's going on in Afghanistan. Right? You have Jesus here in this passage approaching this woman, and Samaritans in that day were looked down upon by the Jews. And women were not respected. They were not cherished in that day either. And Jesus goes out of his way to go through that land and lovingly speak to that woman and offer her water. It's beautiful. And juxtapose that, that image of this compassionate, tender Savior with that of someone in America professing to be a Christian that basically just says, hey, that stuff in Afghanistan, it's not my deal. And please don't come over here. 
Those things are dissonant. They don't go together. That kind of attitude couldn't be possibly more at odds with the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm saying. We haven't had much of a problem over the you know, last 50 years in America turning to the left, if you want to call it that, and saying there's this mission field over there, and there is this post-Christian pocket in America. But the last couple of years have also exposed that there's this massive field over to the right in this Christendom that remains. Among those who may call themselves Christians but don't reflect his teaching at all, there is a field around us, 360 degrees around us. In 2020 and 2021, we've made this pretty obvious if we just have eyes to see. And Jesus invites us into that field. Let me move on. Why do we probably else not pursue this mission? We third don't realize our privilege in being a part of the work. We don't realize the privilege. Hear what Jesus says again in verses 36 to 38. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. These words, they seem kind of cryptic at first, kind of like a lot of the book of John. But Jesus is, is saying that he has arrived on the scene and with him so has the harvest. He's sowing the seeds. The disciples are reaping that harvest with him. And they're rejoicing there together. They're partying and experiencing what God has done. Do we catch what a privilege that is? That we get to be God's instruments. Sowers of seed, yes. Even reapers of the fruit, also. That we get to be God's means of reaching the world for sharing the good news around us. The Lord could have saved everyone, just like the Apostle Paul, right? Knocking us to the ground. Shouting at us from heaven. But no. He turned Paul into one who would go out and sow seed. He turned Paul into someone who would also go out and reap. And he's also um, shared that. He's given that privilege to us as well. I, for one, am really excited for college football to start. Okay? The last couple of years, you know, a lot of times, and you know, all the, the bad news, you know, it's just been, I know, I know it can be idolatrous for me, honestly, football, but it's good to have something I'm excited about I get to potentially go to. But a big thing I'd like to do is take my kids along with me because I want to be with them and I want to be excited with them. So I, I saw this image 2010, we upset Oklahoma. You know, everybody rushes the field. They're the number one team in the nation. I just remember holding my oldest now, who just started college, holding him, looking at everybody in the field, and just, it was just a moment, right? But think about what Jesus is saying here. The Lord wants to include us in all of this because he loves us. He could have come up with all kinds of other ways. It's not like he ran out of good ideas or he just thought, you know, I could really use some help. It gives Jesus joy to see our joy as we harvest this field together. A beautiful thing. But what's Jesus also saying in verse 38? He's telling his disciples that we get to reap the labors of those who have gone before us. Who's he talking about there? Well, 
probably John the Baptist and his followers. But I think he's also talking about the prophets and the authors of the Old Testament. All of those who long before had looked ahead to a king and longed for a kingdom and never got to see it, right? What a privilege for us, church. We are here, we get to see it, to see it expand. And we are a part of something way bigger than us, something amazing, and it's meant to bring us joy. Here's why I think we don't often embrace the privilege. We miss out on the joy, and we're not a part of his mission. I think one thing is doubt. We struggle to believe that we're up to the task. We're puzzled that Jesus would entrust us and want to bring us along with him. We're his instruments. I, I use that term already, and that means that Jesus wants to work through us. If we feel weak, if we feel incapable, if we think we lack the answers or the integrity, that's the point. Because he wants to display his power through us, his children. A second thing that I think holds us back, perhaps the most, is fear, right? That's why we miss out on this privilege, why we miss out on this joy. We worry about what people think. Don't we? We shy away from our calling. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be seen as narrow-minded. When we have this amazing message of grace. But friends, and I'm talking about me too, we have to concern ourselves with God's approval. With what brings Him joy. It's Him we should fear. Him alone. No one else. If we want to go there and we want to think about what human beings think, here's a suggestion. Maybe we should envision those prophets in heaven right now. Watching us, tiptoeing around, witnessing us stay silent. And they might ask us, you're kidding me, you're, you're at this point in history. You get to live on this side of the cross. You get to experience everything that we were desperate for, that we longed to for, and you're not talking about it. You're afraid, right? I mean, we got executed. You know, you're afraid. How could you not? How could you not see the privilege that you have? What a blessing that we have in this mission. Let's cherish it. Let's pursue it together. Second, let's talk about how we can encourage each other toward change. Now, here I think it's important that we see those words that we just read in their context. I'm sorry we didn't have time to read it. Normally we read big passages here. We're still trying to figure out how to navigate the season with kids in the gathering and such. We want parents to be included. But anyway, context. What's happening? Jesus is with his disciples and he passes through Samaria, the northern kingdom. Now, most Jews in that day avoided that place and those people. They truly looked at the Samaritans and thought they were half-breeds and heretics. They looked down on them. They judged them. They would take the long way around at any time they could. But chapter 4, verse 4 says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Right? There wasn't a bridge out. There wasn't road construction. He was constrained by the Spirit. He had work to do. And he wanted to teach us something with his disciples. There he walks up to this woman. Men didn't do that in that day. It weirded her out. She's not just a woman. She's a Samaritan woman. She's, in fact, an immoral woman. And Jesus comes up to her and starts speaking to her. 
And again, she doesn't know what to do. She's nervous. Now, seeing what he does in verses 31 through 38, he's trying to teach those followers walking with him. Um, and, and he's trying to teach us, include us in, in his mission. Let's think a little bit about how, in light of that, how we can encourage one another. First, to, pr to pray and dream. Pray and dream. With one another, we should ask, who are those that God would want us to reach? Who are those that he's bringing across our paths? It's good to think about the places God may want to take you, where you can connect with people and share Jesus. It's also helpful to think of a few people, maybe three to five, and pray for them regularly. People that you meet in those spaces, asking God to work in them, to provide you more opportunities to speak to them. Second, encourage each other to pray and go. Here's one thing, church. We have to leave our Christian bubble, first of all, and go out into the world. Right? It's, it's been easy to kind of be in this bubble over the last couple of years. But just in the Christian world, you know, we can just be in this place where we can insulate ourselves and we can't. We have to go. And as we do, Jesus will give us opportunities. Among people, yes, that we may feel comfortable around. And it would make sense because how God has made us that we would be most equipped to be used by Him to reach them. But He'll also take us to places where we might not feel quite as much at home. Right? Where we'll have to lean on his strength. Among people who are different from us, we've got to be ready for those opportunities also when he takes us through a place that may feel like Samaria and even ask God to give us them. Third, pray and look. As we go, we ask God for opportunities. We're talking about being watchful. The disciples doubtfully noticed the woman by the well. They didn't want to, right? They had places to go, people to see. But Jesus did. It's so easy for us to stay in our own world, to pursue our agendas, oblivious of the people around us, unaware of what God might want to do. But we can ask Him to help us see. Fourth, pray and listen. We tend to think about mission about evangelism is what we say, first and foremost. But think about this. Jesus, God the Son, meets this woman, and he spends a lot of this time listening to her. It would do us well to do a lot less talking as we go to build relationships with people. It's far better to ask questions, to get to know people's stories, to hear about their hurts, maybe the list of their questions, how can we share Jesus with people that we don't know? And why would they listen if they don't sense that we even care? Fifth, pray and share. And I'll spend a little bit more time on this one. Pray and share. Now, people are not projects. Okay, hear me say that. We love people because they're humans made in God's image, whether or not they ever become Christians. But because we want to truly love them and love them well, of course we share the good news. So we pray for opportunities, and as we find them, we speak. Now, as I said, I'm ready for some football. I am. As I've been thinking about um, mission and 
you know, in my zeal, in excitement, um, I've been thinking about how to think about our, our mission together, our different approaches. And I've got three, three angles for you to think about. And if you're not a football fan, bear with me. Think of another sport that you can appreciate. It'll probably translate. But I want you to start with offense. As God opens doors, this is presenting the good news of Jesus. What does Jesus do here? Well, yeah, he tells this woman where water, where living water is found, it's in him. And we have to do that also, right? As people ask, we should also tell them our stories of how God has rescued us, of who we are now in him. We are also to tell God's story of what he's doing in history through Jesus. How he's bringing redemption in the world, that's offense. Let's take defense. You might have heard the word apologetics before. Apologetics is this aspect of Christian theology that's talking about giving a defense for what we believe, giving answers. So as people raise objections, we seek to lovingly answer them. And let me tell you, this can seem overwhelming, right, for all of us here, me, the other pastors included. We never feel like we know enough we never feel like we're fully up to the task. But there's a couple of things I want to say about this to remind you of. And the first thing is, is I would encourage you to set some attainable goals for this. Instead of trying to prove the existence of God without a shadow of a doubt, we can't do that, by the way, why not familiarize yourself with the biggest objections people have to Christianity and having some basic answers for them? I'm not saying that's easy, but I think it's attainable, at least. We have this idea that if we have a silver bullet, if we can answer each and every question, wow, bang, somebody would be saved. But that's not the way it works, right? It's not. But here's an example of what I'm talking about. Why could a good God allow for suffering? Why? Well, first of all, we're not God. We're not totally sure. But if he's God, isn't it possible that he understands things that we don't and has reasons that we may not be able to grasp? Did you also know that the wild thing about our Christian God is that he came and entered our world and experienced our suffering? And that through that, going to the cross, he made a way for suffering to come to a full and final end. That's just one example, one question, one response. And there are really great helps out there as we try to do this. Tim Keller, The Reason for God, Rebecca McLaughlin, Confronting Christianity. They basically take that approach. They're great. Here's a second thought. And we need to go about this in a gracious way because we're not trying to win an argument. We're trying to win people to Christ. But when you play defense in football or other sports, you have an offense across from you, and they have to run plays too, right? So when people ask us questions like, so how do you explain suffering? We don't want to dodge those, but we can also ask questions like, respectfully, lovingly, well, thanks for asking that, but how do you deal with it? How do you explain suffering? Right? We don't always have to be on the defensive. We as Christians aren't the only ones that have to answer for ourselves. We don't the only ones that have to explain questions like that. We all do. 
I think many people will realize, like many of us here have, that they don't actually have a story that explains things quite as well as the Christian one. There's one more area that I want you to think about. In football, you have offense. We share what Jesus has done, how he's changed us. Defense, we give answers for why we believe. You also have special teams, right? Punts, field goals, extra points, kickoffs, things like that. Now, those are the things, though, that often get botched, and they often are the difference between a win or a loss. Here we do things to help people move, something like that. Have someone over for a meal. Visit them in the hospital. Give them a ride. Loan them some money. Give them a shoulder to cry on. Other special things that God might use as a means by the Spirit to draw people to Him. We don't just share our words. We don't just share our answers, but we share our lives. We pray and share. Now, we should do all these things in community. We talk to our brothers and sisters about opportunities that God has given. We pray together for those people. And as God permits, we're inviting those folks into that same community. We're introducing them to our family of faith, where they can begin to experience the love of the gospel while they're grappling with this message. So six, we pray and introduce. This can come at many points in the process. Um, but it's so important. I think often our go-to is we say, hi, my name's Kevin, and we invite them to church. That's sometimes appropriate. I don't know that it always is, but we do want to bring them in and let them experience the family that God has given us. And as we do all of these things, we pray. We pray in trust. We ask Him to work. If you didn't notice, pray is in every one of those points. We pray in trust. We take the opportunity God gives us. We walk away. We await the next one. Believing that God really intends to use us. And we keep praying. Believing that he's in control. So. This week's question again. How do we encourage one another. Right here. Right now. To be God's means of reaching our neighbors with the gospel. Those are some ideas. Let's now talk about what it might look like. If we obeyed Jesus in this area. So, much like last week, I want to think about our individual lives first. Here's some ideas. We'd seek to be regulars in restaurants and hair salons and grocery stores and athletic clubs, seeking out opportunities to talk about Christ. We'd keep a list of people we're praying for, asking God to open doors with those folks. We'd seek out people who don't look and act and talk just like us, and we'd ask questions and listen and learn. We'd involve our lives, we'd involve our families in our community, helping out in schools, joining commissions in the city, taking part in art walks, things like that. We'd pursue hobbies with missional intentionality, sports teams, knitting clubs, game nights, whatever it would be. We'd head for the greatest places of needs in our city, the homeless shelters, the agencies that care for the poor, orphans, refugees, widows. We'd use our homes for hospitality any chance we could, inviting people over for meals, engaging them in conversation. We'd seek to actually get to know our coworkers and classmates outside even of those contexts, 
taking in meals, going out for drinks to get to know people better. We'd slow down, we'd seek out opportunities, we'd stop and have conversations, we'd try to learn people's names, we'd ask people how we could pray for them, we'd bring Jesus up in our normal conversations. Second, let's think about our life together in cars. Take our Sunday gatherings, like this morning. We'd be full here of people who don't know Jesus. We'd constantly invite people to join us throughout the week. We'd be welcoming if they came. We'd talk and act like people all around us didn't believe because that would be the reality. The baptistry up there, the water would need to be warm every week because we'd be using it. Elders and other leaders like me, we'd be inundated with questions following the gatherings before for people new to the faith. We'd busy, be busy in prayer before and after with people who are hurting and confused and want to talk. We'd all be rejoicing together as we saw God working powerfully through us, among us. In our missional communities, our small groups, our MCs, we pray together passionately for those who are seeking to lead to the Lord. We join in with our brothers and sisters to try to help them reach the people that God has put on their path. So helping a sister in our MC move a coworker in, or go in to watch a game in a sports bar with a brother um, and his friend from a class that he's seeking to share Christ with. We'd intentionally go to places um, in our city where we can interact more with non-believers, play dates at parks, craft nights at the library, things like that. Our MCs would be made up of as many non-Christians as Christians. We regularly need to and want to go through evangelistic Bible studies in those groups. For those who don't believe, we routinely see people come to place faith in Christ. In our DNA groups, which are our groups inside of those groups, we would seek to lovingly hold each other accountable to truly engage and share Jesus. We'd ask questions like, who's on your list? Who have you been praying for this week? Did you get to talk to, to Bill? We'd pray fervently for one another as we try to be faithful missionaries. We'd pray earnestly for those that God is bringing across our paths. We'd rejoice as we come together each time as we talk about what God has done in the previous week. Imagine all that, Karis. I think it's something we would all love to see, but I think we also say that we have a ways to go. I think about the Apostle Paul, who writes the book of Romans and writes Galatians that we've been walking through, but in Galatians chapter 10, verse 1, he talks about his own people, the Jews, who stray from their God, and he says this, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. In the chapter before, verse 3, he goes even further. He says, and I think we just gloss over this, but he says, For I can wish that I myself were a curse and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. That's passion, right? He's saying, he's actually saying that he would rather go to hell than then miss out on heaven. That's heartfelt. And his entire life obviously reflected that. Do we see that kind of passion, that zeal in us as we look around in our city and as we think about where God has put us? Recently, a pastor named Jeff Menji asked these questions on social media. 
He said, if God answered my evangelistic prayers this week, who would come to know Christ? And if God worked through my evangelistic efforts this week, who would come to know Christ? I think most of us would have to answer honestly, at least for many weeks, none, zero, zilch, nada. But what can we do about it? There are two things that we need to pursue all the time, and there, there are two things that I try to talk about all the time. Reformation and revival. The first we'll talk about is revival. Here we ask the Lord to work in our hearts to renew our affections for Him. We ask God to rend the heavens and come down, as Isaiah puts it, and do something powerfully in our midst. So we're asking Him to work in us, to give us that kind of zeal. The second is reformation. We seek to conform our lives to what God's Word says. To have our lives reformed by the scriptures, we do what he asks. We obey. And we often find him softening our hearts as we do that. So let's say that we want our lives and our life together to look like this. What do we do? We ask. God work in us. We act. We seek to do what he says. We ask him, believing that he can do far more than we could ever imagine. And we're not just talking about it then, we're talking about it us. And then we act, obeying what he calls us to do on mission, going out, seeking to make disciples. We pray for revival, we pursue reformation. We really have to have both of those. Or we get off. Well, I want to finish similarly to what we did last week, with some time using our imagination and then some time in prayer. Now, you may not have done this in church before. Bear with me. God gave us our imaginations. I think they can be beautiful things. Um, Our first, if you're comfortable, maybe close your eyes. But take a few minutes and just envision. If you really believe this, that God wanted you to reach those around you, how do you think your life would look different? What would you see? What would change your routines in your household? Now think about our church. If this were the case and you walked in on a Sunday, how do you think things would look different? Um, what about your MC? What would you see? What could you imagine there? Let's close by spending some time in prayer. Um, let's ask God to help us see those fields and to go out and work in them in strength. If you're comfortable, pray out, out, and I'll close. Father in heaven, um, hear our prayers. Give us eyes to see. Um, enlarge in our hearts, Lord, we pray.